This episode you are about to enjoy is a previously recorded episode from The Unfiltered Historian. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Unfiltered Historian Presents. And you might notice that we don't have an unfiltered conversations title tonight. It's a little different. We are, it's the 27th of November, so we're in the anniversary of the Battle of Mine Run, or the Mine Run campaign, and we have none other than Chris Mikowski with us to talk some Mine Run tonight. So we are very ecstatic for that. Chris, welcome to The Unfiltered Historian. I believe this is your first time on The Unfiltered Historian. We were Mr. Oculio at one point way back when we were still trying to figure out the interwebs and how we go about broadcasting but we sort of figured out my book tie don't i appreciate that that my xbox gamer tag from so long ago (laughs) i'm glad somebody still remembers me as that but now the unfiltered historian can finally have an episode with mccowski we are so excited to have you i grew up i was quick that was like Mar- was it March or April of last year? Oh, that was, was it? really quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was quick. Wow. Awesome. Well, again, welcome aboard, man. I'm really excited to have you tonight. And uh, Darren has really inspired this episode. Uh, he was talking a lot about Mind Run and trying to um, really put some light on that from our aspects. We haven't talked a lot about Mind Run and we began to dive into uh, what we call the Forgotten Fall. I'm sure you've heard it called as such. And we talk about places like Bristow Station and Rappahannock Station. And, you know, we talked a little bit about that, but I think Mine Run is also very important to the beginning of the Overland campaign and kind of how that's going to play out in 1864. So without further ado. Uh, it's, uh, it is one of those things people, you know, jump from Gettysburg to the wilderness and assume nothing took place in the months in between. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, right. That's what we discussed, yeah. Yeah, and, and there's so much going on during that period, and the armies are in constant 
contact. It's just that there's no huge battle that results in tens of thousands of casualties, but it's a small trickle, you know, where there's a cavalry engagement that might have one or two uh, or, or uh, skirmishers that might open up and someone gets wounded or something like that. So the casualty numbers are small, but constant uh, right after Gettysburg, right up through the end of the year. And, you know, me, my, my knowledge on this is very scarce. I have both uh, your book and I have the mine run campaign maps with me as well. Um, as I plan to read those tonight, but I have been so into the Titanic recently out of nowhere that just kind of my first historical obsession was that. So I blame that for taking a lot of my time from it, but that's one of the things I really liked about Darren bringing this is I wanted to give him the opportunity to help and really highlight this episode and have this kind of his baby. He was really excited to do this. So this is more for, you know, him to talk to you tonight too. I of course wanted to be a part of this conversation just because I, I live in the area and you know, you and I have walked some battlefields before, so we got to do some chit chat there, but I've only, been able to go to Payne's Farm and Seal, and not that that's the bad thing. Payne's Farm is incredibly awesome. I, I enjoyed being out there and seeing that. Um, Joe LaFleur and I have actually walked that a few times. Um, but I still, my knowledge on that, and like you said, it's so obscure when it's not that major battle that a lot of people were probably even looking at the title and saying, what is mine run? Uh, yeah, and what you know, I think one, one thing that might be useful for us too is we think it's, you know, 6 o'clock p.m., our time, um, mine run is literally just down the road from both of us. Um, mm -hmm. Daz, a little farther for you to get there. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, uh, uh, you know, back in 1863, at this very moment, the battlefield is littered with the, the dead and the dying and the wounded, the detritus of battle that's scattered across the fields. Um, and so it's, it's really, a, I think, an evocative time to think about that landscape of misery and these wounded guys. Um, and, and both sides, both armies trying to make sense of what happened because neither of them were expecting that fight. It's cold. Guys are freezing, although not as cold as it's going to get uh, a little bit later in the campaign. Um, so it's just this miserable, miserable landscape back in 1863 at this very moment. Right. Now, if, am I correct in saying that General Warren is kind of a figure here that should be praised? Uh, Warren doesn't have a whole lot with Mine Run, except uh, with, with the Payne's Farm fight. Um, but certainly okay. the overall Mine Run campaign, absolutely. Um, you know, on this uh, anniversary of today's battle, um, he's kind of holding the Union Center and desperately waiting for the right wing of the army to show up, uh, led by Blinky French. I was going to give some extra there to Blinky. <laughs> I love it. Actually, before you move on, I've got something to ask, actually. So yeah. I'm going to go and move away from the battle just for a minute because I thought it was funny. So, um, hang on, I've lost my place now. Um, where is it? I was going to ask this really good, actually. Um, one thing I've always loved about the Civil War, and you brought it out because you said blinky French. And, of course, I was watching your video, Chris, um, on the, that you did in 2019 for a uh -huh. Civil Wars uh, symposium. And, uh, well... I mean, you're very good, uh, you know, and successful of what you've done. But, I mean, you could have a sideline as a stand-up comedian because you are quite funny in that, I must admit. <laughs> it's good. And he made some funny jokes in that. Um, I'll put a link up for that so people can watch it. But um, one thing I've always loved about the Civil War is some of the nicknames given to some of the generals. So I thought it would be fun to see if we, how many we could get. Oh, you know, how many we could remember. You're throwing me for a loop. Oh, there's really? quite a few, isn't there? there can there I start are. with old brains? Yeah, old I mean, brain. obviously you've got um, <laughs> old brains, yeah. 
Well, and me is the, um, pardon my French, the goddamn nope. goggle-eyed snapping turtle. Uh, I love it. Men called him. Uh, I don't know if anybody gave him that nickname to his French, uh, to his face, excuse me. But his his uh, staff officer, Theodore Lyman, called him Old Peppery, which I thought was hilarious. I've never heard that. <laughs> <laughs> Old Peppery. He was a pretty peppery. So um, other folks. Uh, well, of course, and then we, if we're just talking mind run, we've got Tardy George Sykes. Um, uh, on the better side, um, we've got old Jube, Jubal Early, who's standing mm-hmm. in for old Baldy. I don't know what his yeah. old, old guys were only like the old, old man. Who's that one? Andre <laughs> <laughs> Lee's the, uh, the old man, the gray fox. Um, so those would be some guys on that side. Um, but then you know, um, uh, if we get into the uh, like really, uh, you know, Devil Dan Sickles, mm-hmm. um. You know, we could really dig in. You know, nobody's coming to mind at the moment because you've put me on the spot. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> me too. I'm, that was a very is this, good. No, it's actually your fault because of your video and saying about because you 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 keep mentioning Blinky French and it made me laugh and I just thought that would be interesting. To, to I was happy to see you do that it, you because know? my sunken road tours and we talked about French. I would do that blinkiness and, and they would get it. Yes, they would get a kid out of that. You know. <laughs> And the more he drank, the more he blinked. So uh, that's funny. How, how pickled he was by how much drinking he was doing. So, no, but there were, wasn't there one called Lee's Dirty Old Man or something? Uh, yeah, uh, Jubal Early was uh, Lee's Battle. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yep. Yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, and of course, uh, Longstreet old man. Uh, is uh, Old Pete or, you know, mm-hmm. um, his old war horse. Now, uh, so. there's a, no, I don't know if it's, is it Robertson's Tavern that rings a bell when it comes to Mine Run? Yeah, yeah. Or am I having? Okay. Yeah. So what, what does that play? And I'm big into a lot of the historic homes of the area. And I'm, I'm not sure that it's still standing. And Noel Harrison, I blame for this, for getting me obsessed with all the old homes and archaeology and just different sites of, around the areas here. Um, but I have a feeling there's something significant about Robertson's Tavern. And So if you were traveling through the wilderness, 70 square miles of second growth deciduous jungle Mm -hmm. um, and heading down today, what would be modern route 20 at the time it was orange court, uh, orange turnpike because it was heading toward orange courthouse Um, Robinson's Tavern or Robertson's Tavern. It was called both um, sat at this intersection as you're heading toward the West. And so it was kind of like a day's travel into the wilderness. So it was a good wayside stop for folks who were coming from one way or the other as they were uh, passing from Orange toward Fredericksburg or or vice versa. In the same way that Chancellorsville, for instance, was or Dowdle's Tavern or you know, Wilderness Tavern. Uh, it right. was one of those sorts of uh, waysides. So that's going to be sort of the rendezvous point as Meade moves his army from the Culpeper side of the Rapidan River across to... Um, basically converge at Robinson's Tavern and swing up and around behind Robert E. Lee's army, which is there stationed at Orange. Um, unfortunately, Lee sees him coming, so Lee's able to mobilize, and Meade's not able to get across there in time. But that tavern intersection then becomes really important because that's where Meade's army is supposed to concentrate. And um, mm-hmm. it's a good, solid position for them to hold. So when the Confederates actually show up by surprise, uh, the, the Federals actually have a really good spot from which to uh, hold on to that fight on that first day on the 27th. Okay. Yeah, so like my initial impression, and again, like my, my knowledge on Mine Run is very slim to none right now, but um, my initial impression is Clark's Mountain being kind of the the eyes and ears with Lee. He's able to see a lot of this from Clark's Mountain, if I'm not mistaken. This is sort mm-hmm. of a vantage point for him. And 
Of course, uh, Clark's Mountain's a bastion almost. This is a very impregnable position for Lee to be holding. And if I'm not mistaken, not mistaken, this is somewhat of an an attack field for the Union Army. They're trying to bring Lee out of this position he's holding on Clark's Mountain. Well, it's and, and Clark's Mountain isn't isn't like um, you know Lee's holding it as an observation point, but his main okay. line is basically um, blocking the Orange and Alexandria Railroad. And if you sort of look at your mm. computer screen and, and think of that as a, a map, that's going to be kind of our, our plane. Um, the Orange and Alexandria basically goes from the top right corner of your computer screen to the bottom left corner of your computer screen. And they've been fighting along this axis throughout the fall. Um, that's what takes them up to Bristow, brings them back down to Rappahannock Station. And Lee basically falls back toward the lower left corner of your computer screen and blocks the railroad, figuring that Meade's going to keep coming at him in that direction from Brandy Station. So what uh, Meade actually tries to do is, rather than go head on, is he swings basically straight south to the bottom center of your computer screen and then goes along the bottom edge of your computer to try to get to that bottom left corner. Um, and that's how he's going to get in around Lee's army. What Lee's able to do is then, you know, from his vantage point at Clark Mountain, um, he's going to see the federal movement and he's going to drop down and intercept Meade's uh, movement. Um, so Meade's movement depends on surprise. It depends on secrecy. It depends on speed. And he's able to accomplish some of these things at the start of the campaign. And then he quickly loses his speed. He quickly loses his secrecy um, and things fall apart on him pretty quickly. Mm. One, one thing I got from uh, this this campaign, as I've seen, I've, I've only been researching it for two weeks myself, you know, um, is the fact that they're using the same Fords that they used during the Overland campaign. You know, it's literally like a rehearsal in a way for that that's going to happen in the spring of 64, isn't it? Um, uh, yeah, these boards all along the Rapidan and Rappahannock rivers get a lot of usage um, through the Chancellorsville campaign. Um, again, um, through the fall, uh, you know, the battles of Kelly's Ford all are, are really centered around these uh, these boards. And then again, mine run, and then again in the Overland campaign. Um, not all of them get used all of the time, but you know, all of these river crossings are really important. Just sort of depending on where the army's at and moving to, um, different fords come into play at different times. Okay. And sorry, uh, nothing really goes right either, does it? So you have pontoon problems, you've got weather problems, losing the element of surprise. Yeah, on the morning of the 26th, when, when Meade first starts going, he's got the cover of fog, and he's actually able to take advantage of that and get his men up and moving. The problem is once they get to the river, um, things start falling apart because, A, his um, right flank Again, as I mentioned earlier, led by Blinky French, um, mm -hmm. they get moving slowly, and that creates a bottleneck with John Sedgwick behind them. They get to the river. Nobody's done some reconnaissance to figure out the best way to get across. They think the ford is all right, but they don't know what sort of uh, Confederate force is waiting them on the other side. And then the real kick, and this is just like dumb bad luck. Um, they knew that they had to build some pontoon bridges to get the armies across. They brought the pontoons with them. They were ready to go. And a big rainstorm a couple days earlier had swollen the river just enough so that they were one pontoon boat short on two of their bridges. <laughs> and so they had to then construct trestles to finish that span. And that just takes an incredible amount of time and uh, really is a delay. So Ty, when you mentioned um, uh, Robinson's Tavern, the mm -hmm. idea was to rendezvous there by the night of the 26th 
the army's able to just get across the river by the night of the 26th, and they're going to have to push forward on the 27th to Robinson's Tavern instead. Okay. And then just to add one last insult to injury, uh, because it's my favorite line from the whole campaign, um, Prince's column starts moving across the river, and they take the wrong road and don't realize it. And then French says that he found himself deep within the bowels of the enemy. And he Ooh. has to turn around. I know it's like, oh, proctology, no, no wonder in the city. And uh, so he has to backtrack and then find his way uh, and get himself into a spot that allows him and the sixth corps behind him to get across deep within the bowels of the enemy. Sounds so, interesting. Yeah. Very poetic. Um, I have a map that you mentioned a map. And this is one of the older maps from the Library of Congress, but I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this something worth looking at? Is this a map we should be referencing? Oh, when we yeah. Talk that's about a the great, battle? Uh, that's a great map. Yeah. Um, cool. So if you need a map or if you want to explain it, just give me the cue and I can click that up there and we can okay. all see that. And well, why don't we toss it up there real quick here and we'll absolutely we're, we're talking about it. Um, so there you can see the Rapidan River across the top of the screen, and uh, you can see some red and some blue fortifications. This map is showing um, simultaneous actions um, in one screenshot, if you will, so it's a little confusing. But basically, if you're starting in the upper right of the map, where it says River, the Federal Army is going to cross uh, boards that they're going to use to, and they're going to come down and try to converge at a place called Robinson's Tavern. Um, and then they're going to um, start pushing forward along, it says Turnpike to Orange. I don't know if you can see it. It cuts across roughly mm -hmm. the bottom one third of the screen. And they're going to go on my screen from right to left toward where you can see a big cluster of. Uh, of a red off to the left. The idea is to march right off that map and get to orange, uh, but Lee's able to come up and, and uh, counteract. Um, so that's kind of what creates these, uh, these different opportunities. Um, when we're originally looking at the battle maps here on the 27th, you'll see the red line right down kind of the, um, the left third of the map, and it stretches over into the kind of the center. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the initial a confederate line and you'll see the federals have nice uh, strong lines pretty straight lines up there at the top yeah they do yeah. i'm seeing notable sites on this too i mean there's a blue line around the wilderness tavern yeah yeah um, that's it, so it's not a first for these union troops to be outside of the wilderness tavern such as you know we see in 1864 at the wilderness and that's right now just looking at this map that's a revelation to me knowing that wow they were actually that close or they were basically in the wilderness at this point so this yeah. is their first visit to the wilderness uh, when when mead moves across the river his left flank is is uh, led by tardy george sykes followed by john newton's um first corps um and sykes believe it or not makes pretty good time as he gets across the river and um he establishes a great spot and then Meade's worried that he's over there and isolated. And so he'll actually have to pull back until the rest of the army can cross at the other two pontoon crossings. So once everyone finally starts to get that beachhead on the south side of the river, Sykes will then cross again and he'll swing all the way up and over to the Wilderness Tavern. He'll come down the Orange Plank Road. Um, it'll take him down um, kind of the, uh, you know, uh, the southernmost part of that battlefield. Um, and uh, it's going to be a, you know, we talk about a preview of the wilderness. We're going to have um, federal troops on the Orange Plank Road and Robert E. Lee's Confederates under George Heath uh, or Henry Heath, excuse me, are going to uh, march up that road 
and under orders not to bring on a general engagement, and they're going to smack right into um, Sykes's fifth corps. And there's going to be fighting along the plank road, even though he's under orders not to uh, really start to bring on that engagement. And um, that's the second time in within the space of four months <laughs> or five months. Yeah. And that's going to have you listen, please. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's going to have huge time. implications because at the wilderness, Heath will again be coming down that road. Uh, under the same orders, don't bring on a general engagement. And so finally he'll learn his lesson and not bring on a general engagement at a time when if he had behaved as he had the first few times, he could have swept forward, captured the Brock Road, Plank Road intersection, and it would have changed the entire complexion of the Battle of the Wilderness. So he finally learns his lesson third time's a charm at the wilderness uh, at exactly the wrong time for the Confederates uh, for him to learn that lesson. Uh, right. So here's one of several ways in which Mine Run is going to kind of serve as a preview for the wilderness. Well, can, I, can, can I just um, bring something please. in? Because um, I've been reading... Uh, uh, Elijah Hunt Rhodes' uh, diaries, and he mentions quite a lot. There's a quite a big. There's about three pages actually about um, mm -hmm. this, uh, the you know the mine run campaign, and and one thing that really jumped out at me and made me laugh. It said because obviously we mentioned the weather. It's raining, and well, we live in mud, we sleep in mud, and we almost eat mud. And that this gives you an idea of you know the weather conditions for these poor guys. You know. Yeah. Uh, and to the benefit of the Federals, um, although it doesn't seem like it at first, uh, the weather will turn bitterly cold in the campaign um, and it'll freeze up all that mud. And that's actually what's going to allow them to make their getaway in relative mm -hmm. safety at the end of, uh, of the campaign. Because imagine if they were trying to slip away got bogged down in that mud and then Lee jumps out of those works and comes after him. That's a disaster uh, waiting yeah. to happen. So. And that's that's kind of what my idea was when I was, you know, getting into this was I liked uh, Kenneth Noe's book. I'm sure you've read uh, The Weather in the Civil War. Mm -hmm. um, one thing he, you know, really writes in a lot of his chapters in that book is how the weather plays a part in a lot of the retreats or a lot of the getting to safety, if you will, with these armies, um, whether it be at things that factored into Fort Sumter or Fredericksburg. I mean, we, we know a lot about Fredericksburg and the cold and, and then the unseasonable warmth that takes place on December 13th. But we're looking at mine run today and we're talking about what you just mentioned, that it froze and the mud that Elijah Hunt Rhodes just described to us being almost his meal turns into an avenue of safety for the Union Army, which to me is rather incredible to see again how important weather is to the war and some of the operations around it. I mean, that's just to think that if, if it was muddy and if it was still getting into that warmth or if it was 20 degrees warmer than it ended up being, we could be humming a different tune when it came to the outcome of the mine run campaign. Right, right. Um, so it's just a, uh, you know, weather is a huge, huge factor. And it's it's a miserable experience for these soldiers because over the course of this campaign, the the uh, weather drops to sub-freezing temperatures. Mm. Guys who are out on picket duty freeze to death when they're out there. Um, a lot of accounts of guys having their canteens freezing solid on them. Um, and, you know, and mm. that's a huge factor in, in why Warren calls off the assault. Um, that is supposed to be kind of the grand, um, you know, flank attack. Uh, one of the things that he specifically <clears throat> says, um, you know, it's going to take about eight minutes for his men to get across that open attack plane. And the thought of wounded soldiers lying out there freezing to death uh, really chilled him. Um, and, you know, no pun intended there. I mean, he, he was just absolutely 
appalled at the thought that these wounded guys would be out in this freezing cold temperature with no help. Also, I just want to bring something up actually about that because um, I'm going back way back. So I'm going back to an English Civil War battle that happens in uh, October 14, uh, 1647. You are going way and, back. Um, there's an incident of it being cold at night and uh, because they were wounded, uh, but because it was so cold, their 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 wounds actually froze, so they actually suffered, mm-hmm. you know, even more because they're sit they're laying there dying of the cold, but they're also dying of their wounds as well. It's yeah. awful, mm-hmm. and and it must have been a similar situation. That's that was the point I was going to make. Yeah, yeah. you know, and for these poor guys. Yeah. So that's what I love about talking to you. Every time we talk about civil war, and then you're like, and then in the 1400s, <laughs> he does it all the time. civil war context, all different. <laughs> Darren, thank you for that. Now, um, again, we're going off this cold. I know it's not mine run related, but my my union ancestor in the first United States sharpshooter actually ends up in the veteran reserve corps because of Fredericksburg and the cold. Um, and I, I attribute this to, I call it double dysentery because it's literally what he gets at Harrison's landing earlier in the war and uh, right before Fredericksburg around. Yeah, it's bad. Like he gets uh, what's it, yellow fever and then contracts dysentery. And then when he get he heals from that goes to Harrison's landing to sort of recoup and then gets it again because of the just rampant outbreak that is really at that location. And as he heals, he goes to Fredericksburg and ends up pretty much, and I don't know if it's hypothermia or what exactly it is. But he loses his sight temporarily, loses the ability to speak, and he loses the ability to hear. And that factors into him having to leave and end up getting a pension for it uh, post-war. Isn't there a a Metallica song about that? I believe. (laughs) (laughs) It's called One, if I'm not mistaken. He mentions landmines too, so I'd have to dig oh, and that's find out if you are not at the bar and it not being able to see in here. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, but and that's something I, I really do think about is yeah. that you know when we talk about the cold. I'm just I had a an ancestor who coincidentally is a great grandfather, not a great great. I mean, literally great grandfather, which is wow. to be 26 with one of those. A lot of people turn their heads like, "Are you sure, buddy?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's my dad's grandfather." Like, it's we're really in line. Yeah, he, my dad was born in 1948, so I mean, a little bit older, and his father was born in 1902. So it was his father that served in the first United States sharpshooters hailing from Albany, New York, and ended up in Washington, D.C., and then settling in Colonial Beach, Virginia. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a very cool story. But I, I look back on that and try to understand a little bit about you know, we were talking about weather and, you know, according to mine, running that, that cold weather. And then Darren brought up our wonderful 1400s account there. I'm oh, sorry, 1642. Oh, sorry. So, yeah, a little bit closer than oh, sorry. Okay. Oh, Jamestown <laughs> would have been founded then. Oh, it, excuse me. Um, we weren't <laughs> going to talk about that, remember? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Jamestown, 1607. But anyway, it's, it's interesting. Going back, going, going back to the, um, the, the battle. Um, so the Battle of Payne's Farm and New Hope Church. So can you talk us for a little bit about that, Chris? Sorry, Charles, sure. I didn't mean to cut you off, mate. No, you're fine. I'm more interested in this. Last Let me give you um, just a couple um, kind of um, time stamps for us to follow as we're walking through Mines Run, because it, it does get a little complicated. So, and no references to the restrooms this time. <laughs> <laughs> so the... Um, uh, the battle or the campaign, I should say, starts on the 26th of November. It's Thanksgiving Day. Um, they only get the first just Thanksgiving Day. Is that what, what's that? The first Thanksgiving Day. Is that uh, correct? Like, as in, like, 
the, the national holiday you know today. Yes, yes, yep. And, um, you know, these guys are dreaming of home and uh, family gatherings and loved ones. And they're like walking through the mud that Elijah Hunt Rogues talks about eating a hardtack. Uh, fine Thanksgiving. They get across the river uh, a little slower than expected. They rendezvous. Um, pushing forward, as I mentioned earlier, toward Robinson's Tavern on uh, three different roads. The uh, right flank gets tangled up at Payne's Farm, which is going to be the most significant fighting of the campaign. Uh, that's a battlefield that's been preserved by the American Battlefield Trust, so there is a place you can actually go and walk that. Um, the 28th, uh, the Federals get ready to push forward and attack the Confederates again, but the Confederates have slipped away and created a fortification on the west bank of the small stream known as Mine Run. And so then Meade's trying to figure out what to do about that. Can't find a, um, um, yeah. can't find a good opportunity. So one of his subordinates, um, Governor K. Warren's going to come to him and say, hey, I've got an idea. We can kind of march around the Confederate right flank. So on the 29th, Warren's going to pull his men out. Uh, he's in temporary command of the second corps during this part of the battle or this part of the war. And he's going to march to the south and try to get around Lee's right flank. But by the time he gets into position, it's too late in the day. So he's going to then camp out with an attack at dawn on the morning of the 30th. Um, and uh, at that point, um, Lee is going to extend his line to meet that threat, and Warren's going to call that attack off. And uh, as a result, um, there will not be a major battle. Uh, Meade will come inspect the situation, realize that Warren's making the, the, the correct call. Um, I'm hoping we talk a little bit more about that and unpack it a little bit. Um, and so that night, they'll kind of, uh, you know, they'll spend the rest of the day in the 30th trying to find an opportunity that doesn't exist. And that night, Meade will then pull back and, and head back to his encampments around Brandy Station and Culpeper. Um, Lee is content to sit in his fortifications and wait for Meade to come at him. And, um, you know, that'll be, again, a preview of the Overland campaign. By the time he finally decides to launch an attack forward, that's how he discovers that Meade has given him the slip. Um, so that's kind of the broad overbrush of the events that take place <clears throat> in the campaign. And uh, am I right in saying that this is the first time they use fortifications to that? To uh, that extent. And I, think that's, yeah. and I think that's one reason why Meade um, and, and Warren call off the attack, because they'd really never seen fortifications like that up to this point in the war. There had certainly been field fortifications. Some exist at Chancellorsville, for instance. Um, but it's, uh, you know... Uh, something that Meade's men work on, excuse me, that, that Lee's men work on with great effort for a couple days. And so they've got um, pretty extensive, formidable looking fortifications. Warren's never had to go up against anything like that. And he's an engineer. He knows right. what he's looking at. And suddenly it's like, oh, wait. Um, uh, Not a good idea. <laughs> and, and also you mentioned quite a lot in your book about, um, and also in that, um, uh, ECW thing um, that Mead obviously he writes a lot to his wife, doesn't he? Um, but yeah. to his wife, he's sort of really open and like a bit more sort of open about what's going on. And you mentioned that um, oh, I've lost my train of thought now um, about the fact that um, also he gets um, a lot of criticism from the press afterwards for not um, sending his men across that field because he knows they're going to get slaughtered. And actually, he did the right thing there, didn't he? 
I 100% agree with Meade's decision. Uh, now, it's easy for me to, to you know, make that call for my armchair general perch years later. But um, I think it, it is a more important moment for Meade than the Battle of Gettysburg. Um, because he shows tremendous moral courage in calling off that attack. I mean, he's the Harry Truman of the, the Army of the Potomac, right? The buck stops here. So Warren oh, makes the call not to attack. And Meade at first is like, what? You know, and he blows his top off. Uh, you know, he's got half my army. This man has ruined me. He storms out to that left flank of his army. And he and, and Meade engage in this heated discussion. And then Meade takes a look at Warren's trying to show him. And Meade realizes Warren's right. So then he comes to this point, like, well, do I launch my attack anyway? Because as Daz points out, like, there's a tremendous amount of pressure on me yeah. to do something. And he says, no, I'm not going to waste the lives of my men. And he sends word to the rest of the line, call off the assault. Um, you know, we're not going to uh, go forward with this because this is going to be a slaughterhouse and I'm not going to sacrifice my men. And in that letter to his wife that you mentioned, and it's a wonderful, uh, wonderful letter, he says that um, there will be critics who will say, I should have tried and failed to prove that the works were unassailable. <laughs> Um, that's actually and that's him. Like, why? Why should I do something I know is going to fail just to prove that I would fail? Like, that's ridiculous. These are lives of men, not just figures, right. on, you know, in a spreadsheet. And so he's, um, uh, you know, really adamant about not wasting his army. Uh, and that kind of ties into a question Anthony Howes Dent is asking: mm -hmm. How many men does does Mead have? And he's around fifty eight. Thousand, uh, yeah, I have to double check that. He's got two corps that he has lost. He's he sent his 11th and 12th corps out west. Uh, they're in the Chattanooga campaign. They were sent to counteract the movement of James Longstreet's first corps, which was shifted west from the Confederate side. Um, and so Meade only enjoys an advantage of about five to three during this campaign, which is not enough from, to make him feel comfortable about um, mm -hmm. carrying on offensive operations and defending the Capitol. Remember, he's still saddled yeah. with that um, uh, requirement. He's got to defend Oops. the Capitol. So really then, Lee's got a really good opportunity here to really damage the Army of the Potomac, hasn't he, before like the Overland campaign. So we're obviously when those, um, like you just mentioned, those guys come back from, from the West and then obviously Grant joins the, the party, but um, it's going to be stronger. And of course, they're going to get more men and more resources. So Lee had a real good opportunity here not to actually sit in trenches and actually do something, some damage, you know? didn't he, really, when you think about it. And the myth is, oh, Lee was really weak after Gettysburg, you know. Yeah, and that's uh, one reason why Lee decided to take the offensive um, during the Bristow phase of the campaign. It's like, you know, Meade's just sitting there. There's got to be an opportunity. And 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 Meade will use his, his diminished size to try to kind of get around Meade and make a strike. Um, I think, uh, let me um, just check myself. I think I said 58. And, and Meade's really close to 78. I think I just misspoke there. And then mm -hmm. uh, Lee is down somewhere in the, um, like, um, upper 40s i'd say mm -hmm. like 47 48 something like that um and uh, yeah so numerically it is a real opportunity for lee to uh, make something happen and he tries um and uh you know it forces me to, to pick up and retreat all the way back up all the way to, to center now i have a question that actually is dating back to rappahannock station in regards to mine run 
what is Meade thinking his chances of success on the launching of this campaign are in his experiences at places like Rappahannock Station and Bristow Station? What was you know really going through his head? Because again, we we had this notion that after Gettysburg, nothing's happening. There is just a bump on a log with the, the Army of the Potomac and Lee's Army of Northern Virginia, which is completely false. Like, we know that for a fact that there is a lot going on in between the two armies. But is, is Meade playing off of these incidents at these engagements that are happening after Gettysburg and using those to formulate ideas and maneuvers into mine run, or is this an entirely new campaign kind of coming out of the woodwork here? Yeah. Um, uh, this is a really depressing time for me because, you know, he wants to do something, uh, but he just doesn't feel like he's got the offensive capability because he is still saddled with defending Washington. So, okay. um, and, and then he proposes several different plans that Lincoln nixes as a result of that need to defend the capital. Um, and so, you know, Meade talks about like, I always wondered what it would be like to be a commander of the army. And now I wish I was just leading a division into battle at the front row. Like, this is terrible. I hate this. And, and, <laughs> and you know, several times Halleck will harass him and say like, who is bullying you? And Meade oh, flat out just like says it. like, if you don't think I'm doing a good job, relieve me. You know, I've, I've got, I'm doing my best. And if you don't think it's good enough, Believe me. Hey, all you had to do was mention Halleck for me, and I understood exactly what you were trying mm -hmm. to say. I have, I have my personal feelings towards Halleck, and I've, I've sometimes I let them know more than again. Halleck. I mean, the 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 reason me and Tyler get on so well is we've got the same similar view on Burnside. Although we know, you know, he did make a few uh, some big mistakes. Um, we also have sympathy for him, especially at Fredericksburg, because he does the, get thrown under the, the bus. The amount of political pressure, Fredericksburg. We always keep going back to that same thing. thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the biggest thing that, you know, this is a podcast all its own, but that's the I biggest agree. thing when Grant comes East, Lincoln has finally learned some important lesson and he leaves Grant alone in a way that he has never left alone mm -hmm. in the Potomac. And so, you know, Meade's doing his best. Like he wins Rappahannock Station, sends these all these captured flags back to the War Department, and Stanton won't even receive David Russell, who was wounded during the battle what? and was escorting the flags back. Yeah. And Stanton won't even see him. It's a huge snub to Meade. And so, you know, Meade's thinking... You know, mid-November, mm. we need to maybe start thinking about winter quarters. And it's like, um, no, you need to launch one more campaign. And that's that's horrendous for me to even think. I didn't know that. That's that's honestly almost like and, and really George angered me. Um, Russell's a favorite. Sorry. Does George George always, hand his, sorry. Does he hand in his resignation when Grant comes over? Is that correct? He does. Or tries he does. to, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things, you know, it's, it's a natural reaction, um, you know, not out of spite or anything. It's just, he says, I assume you're going to want to install one of your guys in this mm -hmm. position. I understand the realities of that situation. Here's my resignation and uh, use me however you think you, you know, I can best serve you. Yeah. And uh, that's a, a, another one of those moments of great moral courage that Meade shows. He's a consummate professional. And uh, Grant, you know, says like that impressed me more than then Meade's victory at Gettysburg, and I decided to keep him on. Yeah. Um, so, Bringing it back to Russell really quickly, though, um, I, I talked quite a bit about him and gave him a lot of credit for Rappahannock Station, which I hope is due because, you know, a lot of us go to Upton, and, you know, you and I have talked about Upton plenty of times. I think you and I were the ones that had the discussion in Spotsylvania about how Mackenzie and Russell really are also still sort of the brains behind the Upton assault. A lot of the times, these things at Upton are carrying out, which we may consider 
revolutionary or just these new implementations of warfare, a lot of the times Upton's the one carrying out the assault, not mm-hmm. the innovator behind the assault. Right. And so that's one thing I brought up at the Rappahannock Station talk that we did here on the podcast a few weeks back. And I mentioned that Russell is really the brains behind this. And Upton himself is the one that is writing to his sister and even writing into the official records. I'm not really the creator of this assault or this idea. I may have implemented my own, you know, ideas when it came to yelling that I had a larger force than I truly had when I assaulted the rebel works, but it's Brigadier General David Russell. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to the hear that, that he's just shunned away from Stanton like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, and the thing that I like about that relationship is that Upton is the guy you want on the front lines because he oh, is absolutely. smart enough and innovative enough and independent thinking enough that he he's able to exploit the situation, whatever that might be, in the best possible way, you know, because he's very um, open-minded in his thinking. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. you know, certainly um, Russell's is, you know, very much in control about, you know, kind of how a lot of that comes together. Uh, McMahon um, at Spotsylvania. Martin McMahon, right? He, yep. A yep. Key, key role in developing that plan that ends up with Upton's name on it. Um, That's right. So, well, but yeah, Russell, uh, he, he storms the works, uh, storms the redoubt there at Rappahannock Station, gets injured in the left foot, I believe, um, escorts these flags back to the War Department. And in fact, on his way back from that, the foot wound turned out to be worse than expected. And he's going to be out of the uh, commission for a while because of that wound. I believe Upton's out at Mine Run, too, I think. Um, mm-hmm. He's terribly sick with an illness and um, his surgeon, uh, Daniel Holt. Not David yep. Holt to be mistaken yep. easily with the uh, Confederate from the Mississippi Brigade, but we have Daniel Holt actually writing that he needs to get home and see treatment fast yeah. because yeah. Upton yeah. is declining. Yeah. And Daniel helps. Holt's memoir, by the way, is one of the best memoirs, um, a, a Civil War surgeon's diary. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the best memoirs because he's a beautiful writer too, and he's like seeing he's right in the stuff and he's seeing it all. So he's got. A I've been book. trying to find that. Every time I go to Gettysburg, I look at a few of these stores and nobody has it. I'm going to end up looking online for it eventually, but I want to buy it. Of course, I like to well, source Thank you for another there. recommendation. I, I do need a oh. Christmas present. So. <laughs> Speaking of books, Chris, I hope you don't mind if I just uh, no, throw great. that up there right now. Everything yeah. we're talking about right now, and yeah. I had to. Yeah. There's a there fantastic ECW book. You guys. I've been, I've been listening to that for two weeks on my journey home and on the way to work. So, yeah. If we want reading also, in the audio version, you get Chris telling you the story. <laughs> oh, it's you narrating that one. Story time with Chris. Yeah. I love doing the uh, audiobook for that. Yeah. That must be yeah, fun. I wish you would do more. I love it. Yeah, I think it's great. But um, yeah, guys, I definitely wanted I to show that. Here? The, yeah, sorry, the preservation side of it. Because until I got to the end of the audiobook, I didn't realize that Ted Savis is the one that's that orchestrated with his friend the, the preservation of Payne's Farm. Uh, Payne's Farm had been had long uh, misidentified. So if you look at early works of the Payne's Farm book that George Scotch worked on, um, you know, uh, some, some great positives to it. But the battlefield didn't match up with the accounts and, and you know, the maps didn't quite. And, and that's really what got Ted puzzling through it. There was a whole supplement to Civil War Times Illustrated um, back when it was still called that, um, that was devoted to the Mind campaign. And again, the, the, the maps just didn't match up. So Ted went out and and starts exploring and um uh you know through through really conscientious work with the metal detector 
um, he and his friend Paul Sacra um, really kind of mapped that out and discovered where the battlefield was. Um, the American Battlefield Trust, um, back in its earlier iteration, is the uh, Civil War Preservation Trust. They actually preserved that whole battlefield. They've mapped out a great uh, walking trail there. Fantastic interpretive signs written by uh, Tim Smith from Gettysburg fame and uh, uh, Gary Edelman. Uh, and um, so, you know, thanks to the trust, there is something you can see out there at Mine Run. But the coolest thing is like most of the Confederate line is still out there. Um, these formidable works that Warren was intimidated by. They're still there. They're just all in private hands. Um, so you can't really go battlefield tromping. Um, I've mm -hmm. been fortunate enough to get permission from a, a number of landholders out there to go and look in their uh, backyards. Um, but some of them, you know, I knock on the door and I got an old map, survey map from the Park Service from the 1920s. <laughs> Or 1932. Oh, and they're like, sorry, oh, we're not buying that today. Can you leave, please? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that would be my fear, but I think you got to see no, these. No, I'm not selling you said you that these are some of the best trenches you've ever seen, right? Oh, that's so fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, and people don't even know they're there. You know, like I, I'd knock on a door and oh. say, hey, can I look at your earthworks? And they're like, oh, <laughs> excuse me. Yeah, I walk right out to where in their backyard the work should be, and like, whoop, there they are. And they're like, oh, is that what that is? I didn't even know what I had out here. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, fantastic earthworks. Um, some of the mm. best I've seen, best preserved works I've seen anywhere. So there's a lot out there. So that means just there's more preservation opportunities available at Mine Run. Well, let's hope that I see those in my lifetime being saved because that's something we definitely would love to learn more about. And I think that's what's, you know, it's not that I'm not interested in this battle by any means, but, you know, you and I know this especially. Terrain helps tremendously in understanding a battle and seeing this for yourself, being able to walk the ground that they fought on or served on. And, and just understanding that really helps to paint that picture in your head to make it all kind of come together. And with them inaccessible like that, or just in private hands, not preserved, it's it's tough to really get the full scope of what happened at Mine Run. And I'm learning so much just between the two of you talking about this tonight. And of course, I had the plans to read these, go through the maps and really understand it more. But it's it's, it's extremely helpful to hear from someone who has seen the ground, walked the ground, and just has that that firsthand knowledge of the battlefield. Well, that's why I think preservation is so important because... Mm -hmm. You've got the battlefield. You've got a primary source that you can use to study the field, walk the ground, match it up with the accounts that you're reading and the official records and things like that. So when it, when a battlefield disappears, then you don't have that tangible connection, and it's a lot easier to forget about. So so people don't know Salem about my church. So yeah, no, I was going to bring yeah. up Salem Church. Yeah. Salem church. Yeah. I live in one of unfortunately I, I like living here, but it's yeah, the, the area I live in now is in his front room apparently. From the maps I've seen in the, the Salem Church neighborhood, and I think Noel Harrison echoed this for me too, I have either Cadmus Wilcox or one of the other Confederate move through my living room. Okay. And I'm, I'm in the Salem Run neighborhood, if you're familiar with where that's at, and just right yeah. behind the church. So there's obvious movement going on here. It may not necessarily be the focal point of the battle, but even in small instances like this, you know, we're right, I'm right outside of Salem Church. I could walk there and be there in two minutes. And you know this best. You can't even hear yourself think at Salem Church. Uh, no. no, it's been sad. lost. And what is it that you said? Um, what, I think it was O'Reilly that said this: that people don't like to park up; they like to park down. Mm -hmm. So, so what happens to that ridge? Away the whole ridge, yeah, yeah, just, just gone. Away. But that diminishes the understanding of a very major part of that battle. And you know, in studying Upton, I have even a second newfound love with Salem Church, um, just from a having 
an ancestor captured in Maurice Heights. So he really has nothing to do with the battle at Salem Church. He, he's really on the May 3rd fight there in town. Mm-hmm. But even living here and rereading through uh, your and Chris's book, I just I got this new appreciation for it because I needed to understand what's going on with Upton here because the 121st still love him, even though he doesn't necessarily do exquisitely well here. Yeah. And that was one thing I wanted to paint when I start talking more about him next year in 2022 is like this, you know, people think Upton was just this fantastic general all throughout the war. Yeah. But we go to Salem Church and the fact that the 121st still adore him after that was pretty He's, impressive to me. Yeah. I, I adore is a strong word. Respect. Yeah, I, respect. I, I, yeah. You know, he's a guy they don't love, but they sure respect him. You know, they'll follow him in the battle. That's right. Cause, cause yeah. he's leading into the battle. And I think that's right. So Daz, let me ask you a question since you're well removed from the battlefields here, although you'll get a taste of them soon. Well, I hope so. Because yeah. if you haven't heard the news, we've got another variant going around causing havoc. Yes, yes. So let's hope. So, let's hope. Across, let's across. Uh, yeah. So, so what what intrigues you the most about the Mine Run campaign? Well, I, I must admit, I do want to go out now to Payne's farm. I must admit, since you know, it, it's just it's just the fact that it's not remembered. You know, it and and again, it's not remembered, is it? Because of Ch- um, Chattanooga and that great victory in Chattanooga, and it just got literally. Oh, don't that one don't matter because nothing really happened. It chucked in the bin, you know. And it's like, and I'm glad that you yourself, you know, focused on it, you know, because. I, th- I think because there's not a lot of material out there, is there? Not really. Well, it, it's funny. I was talking to someone about it earlier today when I wrote my book. By default, it became the definitive work on my run because there's just nothing else really out there. There's not. I mean, George Scotch's maps in that one. What is? It? I can't even remember the authors of that Howard book that came out. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Um, yeah, yeah was, was that. George was one of the co-authors of that. I can't remember. Oh, he was actually a co-author too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I love the well, fact that, that it's in that same area. It's crazy that you've got all those battlefields that overlap each other, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, literally on the same spot, isn't it? I mean, Locust Grove, is that not the area that's used for artillery during, you know, during the flank march? Is that correct? I can't remember. Uh, no, on the uh, the the Confederates come up from that direction during the Wilderness Campaign. That's um, it. Yeah. But Locust Grove today is a, kind of like the the official town name for a lot of the area that's covered by Mine Run. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're marching through uh, during the Chancellorsville Campaign, during the Mine Run Campaign, during the Wilderness Campaign. A lot of that all fighting happens on overlapping fields. Yeah, Long Street's coming in Virgiersville, right? During the yeah. um yeah, he's out in Gordon. It's because of you guys. I'm starting to really, really love that area. Yeah. And yeah. especially Central Virginia. And it you've got so much there. And also, you know, um your 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 I know I keep bringing it up, I keep telling you, but your forgotten front book with um Chris is just amazing. It's one of the best books I've ever re- uh, read. Honestly, it's so it's so good. And I like the fact that you're focusing on something that again just got sort of chucked on the trash heap oh well, that didn't happen you know yeah. but it's just so interesting you know you guys did the same for salem church and second fredericksburg because you know and being frontline at the park service at the time knowing that a lot of people heard there's a second battle i can't tell you how many yeah. times a day yeah. i heard that well i mean that that iconic photo of dead confederates in the sunken road is from right. second fredericksburg not first yep. yeah so it's um but uh, you know, uh, Dan, going oh, back to you talked about with with Chancellorsville a second or Chattanooga a second ago, mm-hmm. and I think that that's really key because if people look at Chattanooga, 
which itself is often overlooked. Um, and they, then they forget about mine run, but that was huge context for me in the moment. Um, you know, the army of the Potomac gets news about Chattanooga as they start marching toward mine run. And they say, Hey, that's, that's good news to march on. But that, jacks up the stakes for Meade incredibly because here his his counterpart in the west scores this major victory so what are you doing there george you know and so suddenly it's like right oh, some a little you bit know? of pressure added on to it huh yeah. and so you know yeah you gotta have gettysburg but as the great sage janet jackson once said what have you done for me lately and so like like mead's got to do something and he doesn't because he calls it off, knowing that all this pressure's around him, all this stuff, and he says no. Um, and I just, I really respect him. Well, I tell you what, that it's inspiring a trip, Darren. I think we're going to have to take a oh, stroll uh, through Payne's um, Farm um, and get Gettysburg. I'm not going to Gettysburg anymore. That's going on the trash. <laughs> it's totally worth going to Gettysburg. Totally worth it. It is. Oh, I know it is. I know it is. <laughs> I, I've been there. That's the thing, and I think I want to spend more time in Central Virginia personally. Yeah. I can't but, blame um, you for that. We are Antietam Day. Mm-hmm. I've never been to Antietam. I need to go to Antietam. And I need to make a pilgrimage back to that church in there, the Methodist church that I went to. It was a hospital used for a lot of the Confederate troops and uh, a wounded union as well. Um, but I made some friends in there recently, and they um, have a lot of records that I didn't know existed of some of the wounded that were treated there still at their hospital. So that's one of the main reasons I want to go back to um, Shepherdstown on the outskirts of Sharpsburg. There's some really cool stories. And se- uh, the battle of Shepherdstown itself is a really unique battle in the civil war too. It's almost like mine run forgotten. Nobody knows that yeah. there's a, I mean, it's like balls bluff repeated. There's huge bluffs and people are being pushed to the I mean, brim of those. And I, I like to look at Gettysburg as the Disneyland of, uh, for civil war buffs. <laughs> You know what I mean? I've heard that a time or two. Yeah. Like the Disneyland of the Civil War buffs. That's um, where we all go. We send the missus that, to Disneyland yeah, like, with the kids and we go to Gettysburg. See you later, love. Well, one of the things that, that I think is so important about this area, and, and Frank O'Reilly taught me this early on in my own uh, education. He said, what makes this ground so important is that the park here covers 18 months of the war from Fredericksburg in December of 62 through Spotsylvania in May of 64. You've got you know, Fredericksburg, Chancellorsville, Wilderness, and Spotsy, plus Mine Run, which isn't covered by the park, but it's still here. And over the course of those 18 months, the changes that happen in the war, from personnel to politics to tactics. Um, so so in order to really be able to, to um, really talk about those sorts of things in an educated way with a visitor, you've got to know just a tremendous amount of stuff that goes on during the war and so it's that that's a lot different than a park like gettysburg which very important wonderful park but you know their action focuses on three days plus lincoln's visit in november um antietam you've got you know one day of battle and then you know the, the campaign um for Fredericksburg, I've got to know about Antietam because of the Emancipation Proclamation, and that's the mm-hmm. context leading up to Fredericksburg. So it's just, as Frank said, like the the stuff you have to know to work intelligently in this park um, really trumps any other experience you have elsewhere in the Civil War world. Absolutely. Definitely. And that's one thing, you know, that I, I think I could echo, too, because I learned that same type of instance when I started here as just an intern back in 20. 20- 
15. Huh? It feels like ages ago now. I shouldn't say it's only five years, but or six years. Wow, it's God, time's going like that. Well, you've got to add COVID years into that. That makes it feel longer. 25 then. <laughs> that's like dog years. <laughs> right. Yeah, that is yeah we're now counting dog years. Not, but that's no one more, thing I did. Please, I just, um, a fellow intern of mine, went. To, I went to Gettysburg for the first time in almost 10 years at that point. And it was seeing it in a new light because when I went there, the only things I were pointing out, and even things like the film, was that's Fredericksburg. This is oh, oh my gosh, this is why this happens in '64. Like you see that there, the Dan Sickles Hazel Grove correlation. You know there are new things that I'm coming to Gettysburg. I'm not just thinking Little Round Top and its immediate consequences to Gettysburg. I'm thinking what is happening later. I'm thinking about what is happening to bring the men here to Gettysburg. So I think in hindsight, studying here at this park and being able to learn a lot from this park. I was able to understand Gettysburg even more. Mm-hmm. So I think it works in that way too. When you go to Antietam, you understand, you know, what, what Antietam does for the country afterwards as well, what it brings in. Um, and so that was really cool to learn at the park too. But I, I learned so much here. And like you were saying, there is so much that other battlefields influence to this park mm-hmm. uh, just because of the sheer 18 months that surround it and the history around this is, I mean, it's unique. There's no other park. I think that really has a revisitation of battles. Yeah. Richmond is close, you know, because yeah. the 62 and the 64 campaigns, um, but Petersburg right, right South of it too. Yeah. It's You've got nine months there, but, uh, but you know, and that's why it's always fun to talk about, you know, mine run for instance, because you got, you know, so much going on and that's one great story that nobody talks about yet. It's a mm-hmm. fantastic story. Uh, yeah, that's why I love the North Anna phase of the Overland campaign because everyone yeah. kind of skips from Spotsy down to Cold Harbor. Oh, North Anna, and, and you're the one that you know turned and, me on. And North also, Anna too. Chris, you've got um, you actually live so your living room. You've got lines of um, Union soldiers in your living room, haven't you? Because Spotsylvania are only a battlefield sort of backs onto. Uh, they do. well actually uh, so where I, I actually live on the edge of the Chancellorsville battlefield and uh, EP mm-hmm. Alexander had his artillery in what is now my front yard, um, and then my wife's family owns that big chunk of the Spotsy battlefield and so you know the Ninth Corps was there for the first week of the battle the Fifth Corps was there for the second week of the battle. Is it Thomas and, Stevenson. Uh, Thomas Greeley Stevenson. Yeah. yeah. yeah I love that. It was a great talk. Burnside's line was on your property. Is that right? Pardon? Burnside's line during the Spotsylvania battle. Yeah. And I think that's one reason why uh, that section of the Spotsy battlefield never got preserved because Ambrose Burnside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Burns. <laughs> like, yeah. Again, isn't it? What is it? Frank says poor burn feels dreadfully. <laughs> that was, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. Uh, George McClellan initially, isn't it? That says that. Poor burn feels dreadfully. When he got named commander of the Army of the Potomac, you know. It's like, but but the main thing is, Chris has got Grant's doors, and uh, mm-hmm. hopefully one day I'll get to go and have a cheeky look at them. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty cool. Yeah, that's one of the greatest parts about that place. But I mean, it's just this area, like you said, so unique and just so much yeah. history behind that. Um, I must admit, if I, if I had the money, I'd be there and I'd be living there. That's the end of that. Oh, no two ways about it. Man. You'd have to put up with me every day. <laughs> well, Chris, do you have anything else you'd like to add? I know you said you had to run around 7, and Darren and I are going to finish till 7.30, which is some of our fun banter, and finish out some updates on Fredericksburg. But I know you um, you had sure. till 7, so I wanna, if you have anything you want to add or anything you'd like to discuss before you, you know, pop off here. Yeah, I just uh, go back and, and reiterate that point about how important preservation is, because when you've got the mm-hmm. battlefield, then suddenly you've got something you can start walking, you can got some, you have something that you can use to help share the story. You've got a place to go, and that's a 
tangible reminder of that story. Um, that's uh, one reason why mine run off and gets forgotten about. Um, thankfully, the American Battlefield Trust has preserved Payne's Farm. It's a great field. Uh, kind of a Victory. chilly time to go out and walk there now, but it's a beautiful, beautiful path. So uh, I encourage folks to get out there and visit when they have the chance. And before you go, isn't yeah. there some automobile history out there at Payne's Farm? <laughs> there is an old abandoned vehicle out in it's there. a mercury too if oh, i'm no, not and not, i'm not a no, car guy tug one is it <laughs> no I'll, you'll see it when we go but uh, i think i sent you me and joe sent you a picture a long time ago because we were walking by there and that was it's not my big fascination but i knew it was just it's a different part of history it's an older model it's like 1950s or 60s if i'm not mistaken but if you go out there make sure you look for the car if it's still yeah. there it's, uh, it's kind of cool to see just on that's what i love about preserving these sites because there's some things that are just not conventionally civil war related that you'll pop there's, up there's actually like, a, oh, a vehicle behind potter's line at spotsylvania too if you get up is there really oh, oh, so just a little something for you to go look for before i leave i just want to say thanks to both of you guys um uh, you're kind of what's the best about uh, civil war um, studies these days, you know, a couple guys who are, who are just so deeply devoted to the study of the field, who are taking their love and spreading the gospel. Uh, you guys know that's a big thing for me and you guys are both doing it every day. And I really appreciate and admire the work that you guys do along those lines. So thanks for having me today. I'm Absolutely, really Chris. And thank you for starting. And, this um, Chris, one other spreading. thing. Like, that's Have what you got, got the us Civil War t-shirts left over? Because I'll get, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll I do. So, so when you show up, yeah. let me know. I'll make yes, sure please. Cheers, <laughs> Chris, thank you again. Like you said, thanks. You you are the one that inspired a lot of this. Yeah, to definitely. You know, yeah. When I started, it wasn't your book. We wouldn't even know about it, really, apart from Wikipedia. Yeah, right. So, yeah. Well, it's my privilege, guys. Thank you so much for for what you. Yeah. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you thank on you here. Very much, guys. Thank you all for having Chris out here tonight. It was right, yeah. it was amazing to have Chris out here. Yeah, it was brilliant. What a show. And this is what we're going to bring to you guys. We're going to bring this all the time. Right. Sort of thing. That's what I get. Like I said, the unfiltered historian, we, we have this. Um, and Nathan Provost just asked if he could join after Chris blacked out. So let's, yeah, come on, come some in, banter. let's talk in. about dumping let's some go. tea in the harbor. Right. Um, Tyler, just quickly. I'm sorry for cutting you off a couple of times here, mate. I do apologize. It's okay. It's it's okay. Now, I know you were you were excited about this chat. I yeah, yeah. so many times to talk. I, you know I don't care. I can't believe we even got complimented uh, on what we're doing, man, by the greatest, one of the greatest of all time. Well, there you go. No, it, you know that. It makes my heart happy to hear that. that. Yeah, my, I'm to see somebody great. that we started, you know, that yeah. I I really have an admiration for because wow. he does what, what my dream was always yeah. to Nathan, do. Nathan, come in, man. I need to have a chat with Nathan to talk about this stuff because we need in... to talk about the tea party. <laughs> Do we put that back in again? Anyway, there was lots of questions and we missed them, and I'm so sorry, guys. Um, but Daryl, um, Daryl actually pointed out something for me because um, I, I meant Hazel Grove. I got Hazel Grove and uh, um, that place mixed up. Well, I will take you to Hazel Grove so that doesn't. Oh, happen I want to again. get Hazel Grove. It's that. still it's still that line of trees, isn't it? Where it's like a clearing. Is that right? So it's not the original dimensions that it was, mm. which is like kind of sad because I I really enjoy the dimensions of uh, Hazel Grove today because it still gives you the appreciation for the carnival atmosphere that the artillery has there. And that's yeah. one thing that uh, EPA Alexander knows. There's like a guy cartwheeling and backflipping and just excited on the Confederate line about these shells. He's driving into the lines of the union troops that are in almost rampant retreat. 
there at Fairview, which is just down that swath clearing that you see at Hazel Grove. Uh, Daryl Noonan, thank you so much for your participation, engagement, and thank you for also being a part of the Unfiltered. Uh, it says that we need to take him to second Manassas if he has time. I agree. We need to take him to Manassas in general. Take him to Yorktown, too. Nathan was making some funny comments, wasn't he, on your, on your Facebook? Speak of the devil. Oh, Nathan, how are you? Nathan. Look, How he hasn't are you, got sir? a t-shirt on today, has he? Look. I, uh, you know, I actually... Did you chuck it in a bin? I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know, I don't know if this is actually a good idea or not, because ultimately, um, I know that it's going to be kind of hard to replace Chris coming in. Not as interesting. Haven't written about the Mine Run campaign, but um, I'm glad you guys invited me on. I was happy to... Well, you're an unfiltered historian, so you're, you're, you're more than welcome. welcome always have the invite you just got to let us know when you're on i should have this like I, I wish there was an auto link where it was just like we're live join like a google calendar invite like could happen yeah that's that but see the, the studio link changes for security reasons every time a new episode airs which also speak of the devil a new episode we have a new provider and i wouldn't say sponsored just yet but we've been um, working with some new people and anchor is now working with the unfiltered historians who put us on spotify every episode not just once in a blue moon when we have the money to do so because it was like asking us for like 15 16 dollars an episode which is kind of ludicrous and anchor is now free so if you guys want to listen to this every episode will be up on spotify after today so this episode will be up on spotify just after we're done off air which is awesome so you can drive in your car and listen to us i'm not going to listen to myself back because i, I can't stand i always listen to myself voice. back because i'm sad because <laughs> i'm sad <laughs> but anyway I... Nathan, so us, what what's on your mind today mate tell us what you're thinking uh, actually, for one of my classes, I actually had to do a presentation on battlefield preservation. And so that's actually kind of oh, nice. awesome. Uh, I'm not sure if I can actually, I don't know. Can I share my screen by chance? I don't know if I can. Do you have a picture or something? Because if you do, yeah, just do. Facebook message it to me and I can throw it yeah. up on the picture. Okay, okay. I'm going to do that. Wait, I think, do you have an option to say share screen? Do you see the share screen thing in the bottom? Uh, I do. That's the thing. I know it's not letting oh, me. It's, it's like okay, a so big like, red admin. line through it. Um, Sorry, you're not a member. You can't no, click it. it. Click it and see what it says. Because I click it, it says you can do so. Okay, let me first. I'm going to get the uh, image here. I thought this was pretty cool here. Um, let me just see if this will work. Um. Maybe this will work. What about if it doesn't, send me the image on Facebook and I can just open it up. Wait, does that work? I don't know. Yeah. Yes, it okay. does. Okay. Cool. Cool. So I came across this today actually in the Library of Congress. Um, Great place so, to do research, by the way. Yes. Um, and this is really weird, right? Because like the, the direction north is going to... Um, my left, probably your right. Um, so this is like Richmond is like up here. Petersburg is down here. But the thing I love about this map is it actually is showing like this map is from 1908. This is from the U.S. Army Engineer Corps at like West Point or something like that. And it shows the covered ways. It shows the abatis, um, mm -hmm. all this stuff like in and around Petersburg and richmond 
I just thought it was really cool. And I'm like, I asked with you guys. No, that um, is awesome. Yeah. If, if you wow. want, like, um, I'll try to, I don't know if I can make this bigger, but like. Uh, send it to send me the image. I okay. can make it because I can throw it on the whole screen that way. Okay. Okay. And yeah, yeah. I'll do Tyler, that. Tyler, Tyler will make it bigger for you. Um, Abati, <laughs> if you want to say the French pronunciation, how we get in, intricate in our history here, we call it Abati. Abati, sorry. Abati. No, it's okay. I used to call um, it Abati too, and this one's like, my, no, it's Abati. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You <laughs> mentioned in Tay again. Yeah. No, we're well, talking I, about the French pronunciation of the obstructions he's just uh, describing there. It's um, Abati and Chabot de Fries and all these different types of obstructions yeah. we're seeing. I understand. I don't like the French, okay? We've been fighting the French for thousands of years, okay? I have to look at them every time I go to Asda. Okay? Well, you don't like us either because you're not joking. Yeah, I mean, that is a good question. Who do the British? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You guys like the Scots yet? I mean, is the Scots thing like kind of killed over? No, I'm only joking. I, I love you all. I love you too, man, but I'm still. Um, Culloden still holds a place in my heart. Culloden? Yes, Culloden. A little angry wow. about that still. Uh, Tyler, I'm actually about to send this over to you. Um, and, you forward to it. and you can take a look at it. Um, but and I feel I feel horrible for not having the time for mine run because, and again, I showed this to Darren. Off it's, it's like Chris asked me that question, didn't he, about what, what it is that, that might, you know, got you into it. And it just is... All of it's exciting to me. This right here, buddy. This has had my attention for a while. Titanic yeah. is uh, my first historical obsession, actually. I was uh, three years old in 1997. I could probably tell you just about as much information as like, fucking James Cameron. If you want to talk about Titanic, we can. I don't mind. Oh, no. there's a um, So there may be a post stream tonight mind? because I have a software that I just recently I sent you purchased. that great picture earlier. Did you say well, that? Hold on. That, this that is, you might like this, Darren. I have a exploration app for the wreck of the titanic in it's supposed to be a real-time sinking um video and a uh exploration video that um if that was something that was of interest i was thinking about streaming and having that be a part of the unfiltered since i i do know quite a bit about it and i haven't really had the opportunity to talk about it too much um i was considering possibly putting that into a video here soon and um here soon even being late into tonight because i do not work tonight thankfully i am off i do get to go see my daughter which real quick just want to plug this on thanksgiving my daughter took her first steps and i got to see that and that was the greatest freaking feeling in the world my guys like that was that It'll was be, awesome so nothing in this awesome, world will ever also, be that it means you're going to be chasing her around now like a lunatic. No, I'm just like, can you still crawl? <laughs> yeah. like, like, I need you to like super fast like crawl. That, that's thing. what you need to do. You're going too fast, dude. Like, yeah. oh my goodness. But yeah, fast. Nathan sent us this. Blown up even bigger, oh, guys. Nice. Here you go. Nice, Lovely large, man. and blown up. Yeah, LOC so is a wonderful place, by the way. And let me see if I can show us some real quick. Since we were talking about LOC, I don't know if any of my photos that I've had recently – 
will show up here because I, I decided to download those stupid TIFF files and realized the damage that did to my computer's memory because I have like no memory to even play the games I want to play. Um, I tried to get Call of Duty Vanguard and I spent the money on the game and can't download it because of so many Library of Congress Fredericksburg pictures I have that I'm not willing to part with that I refunded my own game purchase because of the amount of storage that my computer is just being like consumed with with all these photos but there's things like alfred wood sketches i've never seen before and i remember sitting here for like eight hours the other night just going through these sketches of fredericksburg that were tremendous and things i've never seen like um photos to uh, depictions of artillery positions sketched by Wode to the scenes around Falmouth. Uh, coincidentally, 159 years ago to the day, just like Chris was saying, 157 for Mine Run that's happening right now. And again, I know this is Mine Run centric. Um, so the latter part of the stream, whichever time we end, it could be 7.30, it could be 8, whatever. I'm not in a rush to end tonight, that's for sure. I haven't got to see you guys all week and it's been a wonderful holiday week. So it's cool to be able to catch up with everybody and have the unfiltered together. I know Tim said he wasn't available for a while, but I might try to uh, coerce him into maybe talking about the Titanic with me later. Um, let me text him real quick to let him know. So sorry for the pause, but you guys feel free to pick up where I left off. That's all right. So Nathan, are you going to uh, come come to uh, Virginia for the weekend when I'm there? Or can is that something you can't manage? Because I can understand you've got work. So. I have to ask what what weekend that is again. Um, yeah, think... sorry. So, um, I'm I'm tra I'm traveling over from the um, 12th to the 19th, so it's a week. Um, but the following weekend after the 11th and 12th, um, so I'm there for the Saturday and the Sunday. I mean, you know, you could come and have a beer, right. and we could do a yeah. battlefield. I know it's money. That's right. It's we could go to Gourmet. We could, you know. Gourmet. So I went back again, dude. I'm not, I left my ID there that night. No one told me that I did that. So I well, called him. I was like, do you guys have, have, on that's me. what I said. I was like, do you guys have my ID? They're like, yeah. I'm like, oh, damn. Must be an excuse to come in and get another food item and some beer. So I'll be there. <laughs> I go there and they're like, oh, Tyler, we're out of Falcon Smash. I'll tell you what. I'm so glad I got Fine, that. It's the Hershey's <laughs> Porter. You think you know what uh, it is? Yeah. It was so good. It was so good. <laughs> Dude, the food was even better than the beer. Dip. Oh, okay, that's a really lengthy statement. I like the but, I like the look of what you had, Nathan. I think you took a picture uh, of it. It was chicken and waffles. Good. It was like yeah, I had the southern thing. cookout. I'm like, I was like, my oh, my mouth was watering when I saw that picture. Well, they don't have uh they they might in some places, but around my parts, they don't have chicken and waffles. Uh because it's Kansas, yeah. Kansas, Missouri, it's not really like south right you come so. to virginia though and hey we're going to show you some chicken <laughs> what sort of civil war history have you got around your way because there must be a little uh, bit that's actually a really good question um and this is a conversation that i've had actually with quite a few people um the battle of westport is actually considered a really important um engagement that takes place in the american civil war around kansas city uh, unfortunately, Westport is is now what I call probably one of the most hipster areas you could probably imagine here in Kansas City. Um, it's it's uh, but it's been built over. Unfortunately, there's one section that's been preserved over at Loose Park, um, and they have like a small um, sign there, and they have a cannon that basically says, "Yep, Battle of Westport." took place here, even though it was a really important engagement. Um, also, people in Kansas City, it's a really, 
especially in the state of Missouri, it's a very like bitter conflict because you have a lot more guerrilla fighting. There's a, it's, it's a lot more personal. You could maybe make the argument that more war crimes actually happened in Missouri because events weren't really focused past the Mississippi river. Um, and this was considered part of the trans Mississippi. Um, I have a colleague who I actually work with. He's actually a Lincoln scholar. Uh, uh, oh, cool. Like he, I'm so like, I mean, he's a, he's, um, he focuses on Lincoln. He's actually writing a, uh, he's just about to put out a book about Edward Bates, who is a part of Lincoln's cabinet. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, you know that should be coming out soon but but he his next he's planning his next biography on being about samuel curtis who is known for his victory at pea ridge um he's also known for the battle of westport as well um there, but there's a lot of engagements that take place actually here in missouri um in fact i think it actually had the third most engagements or battles of any state during the war uh but they're a lot smaller and um, they're not as well known. Uh, so there's like the Battle of Newtonia, the second Battle of Newtonia. Um, you have even the Battle of Springfield. Um, all of these different engagements take place uh, in the state of Missouri. There's a, and then of course, people in Kansas and Missouri, um, they will make the argument that the war actually began starting with bleeding Kansas. So the war didn't begin in 1861. It started before that. Yeah, because, it starts with John Brown and all that. Yeah, it? yeah. So we, so there's like this weird border war and that's why like the two universities like of Kansas University and Mizzou, there's been historically a rivalry because of the Jayhawkers, the Bushwhackers, mm -hmm. all that stuff. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool stuff though. I like all that sort of stuff. It's, it's, uh, it's strange. But it's not enough to... Yeah. But, you know, I will say the cool thing about the um, state capitol in Kansas is if you go inside, there is a huge mural, mural of John Brown holding the Bible and his gun. And you better believe in Kansas. Um, it's blasphemy to say that, you know, John Brown was a terrorist um, yeah. because around these parts, people love John Brown. So, yeah. Um, so it's one of those things where, unfortunately, a lot of the preservation has gone by the wayside. Um, and there's a lot of research that still needs to be done regarding um, Missouri and Kansas because it's just not as well known. Um, no. In fact, there um, there's a number of engagements that even in, that bleed like bleed into the state of Oklahoma, which is down south um, as well. So the Battle of Honey Springs, uh, very, very important engagement um, as well. So you've got the mass that massacre at St. Trillia, is that correct? Yep, that's that, right. Yeah, that was horrendous, um, that was. Mm -hmm. um, and so the only connections that I really have to the Civil War would actually be on my mother's side, mm -hmm. who, um, Part of them, they're they're German. They're from Munich, and back in around 1848, which I find interesting because that's the year of the European revolutions that take place. Um, I had um, a great grandfather. Um, his last name was was uh, Fick, 
but he changed it to English spelling, but it was uh, like Friedrich von, you know, thick or something like that. But uh, he immigrates to St. Louis because there's a large German population. Uh, he joins the Lutheran church and then he's conscripted, conscripted into uh, the Missouri Calvary. Um, and he will actually fight at the uh, uh, Battle of Westport. So, um, you know, that's that's really the only connection I have to the Civil War. Um, you know, other than that, that's that's about it. Um, so the rest of my family was in Canada. They were just a bunch of, you know, French Canadians just hanging out, waiting for the stuff to end. So, you know. <laughs> Um, but, but needless to say, it's a really good question. And, um, I I'll be honest with you. Uh, you probably know a lot more than most people know here, even in Missouri, most people have no idea that battles took place here in Missouri. And again, it's a lot of, it's like you said, it's, um, um, well, it's the Trans Mississippi. That's what they call it, don't they? Yeah, yeah it is. And, and, and there's a lot of, like you said, it's like a, more like um, guerrilla bands going around and uh, getting chased around by Union Army. Yeah, and it's pretty personal. I mean, it's um, mm. it gets pretty nasty. Yeah, I mean, Centralia yeah. is horrendous. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, Bart, Barton Myers knows a lot about that. Actually, it's very interesting. We touched a little bit about it on one of my podcasts that I did with him. Um, mm -hmm. um, for people that are not familiar with Centralia, it's a, a complete massacre. And uh, what's the guy's name? Um, the guy that he's a real nasty guy. Oh, I can't remember his name. But they um, basically all Union soldiers. Um, uh, was it bloody, bloody Bill, Bill Anderson. Anderson? Bloody Bill Anderson. Yeah, that's right. Oh, and, no and, wonder and you don't they, want to remember his name. They don't show any quarter, and then afterwards they massacre. Mm -hmm. They 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 mutilate the bodies. It, it it's, was, it's not nice. No, mm -hmm. and um, there's actually there's a study done on northwestern Missouri, where the Union Army that was there they were having such problems with um, Confederate Confederate guerrillas that um, it was actually William Sherman's. Uh, I believe it was his brother. Uh, who was in command there and they just ultimately decided they would burn three entire counties no like no questions asked and they would tell these civilians like all your stuff is gonna like be gone unless you come live on a union base right and apparently it was so devastating that the so the soil composition and the environment actually still suffers as a result of that burning even today wow. Um, so the fact that, you know, there's all this going on and, you know, it's, it's not well remembered. I, you know, I, I've made mention of this to my students, um, as well as some of my peers and they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, so it's just, it, it's one of those things that just kind of. So, so you teach over. history, Nathan, is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. So you taught a lot of you you sort of cover pretty much everything then basically from the revolution um, I to cover everything and sometimes more that's not even a part of the curriculum yeah um <laughs> what's it like teaching young younger people is it do you who'd put that up <laughs> well i think tyler could also answer this question as well um i it's it's you, you know okay i i all i will say about it is 
it has its challenges. Um, mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, there are students that are really going to benefit um, from that information. Yeah. And, and I tell them all the time, you know, I don't, I don't expect you to love history because there's a lot of people that don't. Um, and yeah, in fact, I, I love the fact that <laughs> a, I'm going to swear in a minute. <laughs> I love the fact that, you know, that other students are obsessed with things like math and science because we need that. Yeah. Of um, course you do. Yeah. Otherwise you end up but, like me, <laughs> but I want them to That's use critical mean. thinking skills. Absolutely. That's what history is all about, man. Is mm -hmm. I'll take my hat off to you, mate. Honestly, I really do. You know, because uh, that that must that is a, for anyone. You know, it's a hard job. Uh, what what ages are they? They're eighth grade. They're uh, thirteen and fourteen. They yeah, are. so they're really difficult. I can imagine <laughs> all the cheek That's in fun. the mouth. Yeah. They hey, you know what? It's just uh, it's growing pains, you know. So, yeah. but you're you're you know you you've got a hand in somebody's future. That's pretty cool. You know. it, it is, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where I think that right now I, I just, I just care about the fact that they just are learning the content. They're just trying to get it down. So yeah, that's cool. That's, that's all I care about. Um, but yeah, no, um, Darren, I'm going to definitely try to come see you at some point, whether that's in England or in Virginia. Yeah, that would be cool, man. I mean, like I said, I'll take you around and take you some, some good places. Yeah, no, I'd, I've got to visit him in England too. There's some And, and again, um, my round table meets in London and literally it's a stone's throw from Trafalgar Square and the Strand that's and all of the main sites. So uh, we would love you to come on our um, round table meeting and talk about Grant. They would I'd love to. They would love that. Yeah, no, I would. I'm seeing and and uh, spend ten pound on a pint. Absolutely. Do you, do you want me to wear a Napoleon shirt or is that like a? Well, I have a George Washington get, hoodie that you want to get. That you should up. definitely wear while you're there. Wear your Washington hoodie. This also, week. Nate, I will take you to some uh, um, Napoleonic fortifications in my area. So I actually watched your video about that, and I thought that was very, very cool. Um, Which one was that, mate? Uh, it was it was on the coast. Um, oh god, which one was that? Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but you yeah. did a whole thing about one particular fortress, and it, it was built um when they were actually afraid napoleon well napoleon was planning his invasion of england yeah um and so there's this you know that's when they built it um was around that time yeah uh, so there's there's one in dover which is just down the road from me it's called that's the one. That's western the one. heights yeah i haven't actually done a video on that yet properly but there's a there's a thing called um that like i told you about i sent you those pictures in i about the um the grand shaft it's just a feat of engineering it's like drilled in they drilled like a a, um, a shaft into the cliff so soldiers could go down you know uh, and this place up there's abandoned man there's all overgrown and there's there's somebody looks after it but it's i can't get hold of them i'm trying to get hold of these people because i don't you know i want to go visit i want to go look around it properly you know but that is amazing place i tell you darren i should i should tell you actually um and I don't know if you'll find this interesting or not, but um, 
in Istanbul, in Turkey, there's actually a British graveyard dedicated to British vets. Mm -hmm. And the caretaker there is actually gets paid by the English government to take care of this cemetery. Yep. And this cemetery is actually owned by the British government. It's upheld. And these are soldiers that fought in the Crimean War, oh, nice. which to tie in the Civil War, yeah. a lot of um, Civil War officers had read about the Crimean War. I believe mm -hmm. George D. McClellan actually yeah. was an observer yeah. um, of the Crimean yeah. War. And, and that's when you get like the advance in sort of a little bit of the technology side of it that then goes mm -hmm. into the Civil War as far as rifles are concerned. And I don't really know a lot about Crimean War, actually. It's something that I need to start looking at a bit more. And I'm annoyed, actually, because when I was at Horse Guards Parade, there's a cannon there that was captured at Sebastopol. Is that during was... Crimean? Yeah, and it's in Horse yeah. Guards Parade, and I forgot about it, and I should have gone up and, and, and filmed it, and I really annoyed myself now. I only focus on Crimea just to see if there's any connection to the tactics, yeah, to the Civil War, operations yeah. to yeah. the Civil War. Yeah, definitely. Um, George B. McClellan noted, and this is actually funny that he noted this. Um, he said the greatest maneuver of this war was actually the retreat that the Russians um, did it, toward, towards the end. And so it's kind of funny that that to him is like mm -hmm. great maneuver is their retreat um so it always kind of makes me laugh a bit when mcclellan notes that because it's like well you're gonna do that here pretty soon on the peninsula um yeah so you know with that said i i i think it's important to study if you want to understand civil war fortifications and and how that influenced um, their thinking, but mm. you know, I I only bring again, like you know, a lot of people always uh, criticize tactics in the American Civil War, but you got to remember all of these West Pointers. That's the tactics they learned, so they're not they're going to use those tactics. You know, the tactics yeah. of fighting in line, shoulder to shoulder, Napoleonic tactics. That is what they all got taught at West Point, right? And there's that's actually like that. You know, but the um, weapons are just too deadly. You know, that's the problem, isn't it? You know? There's um, a number of um, historians that make the remark that tactics in 19th century warfare meant little to nothing at all. Um, and now that's something that, you know, you can agree or disagree with. Um, I believe it was Jeffrey Perret that made note of that argument. Um, and he, he says so because of the difficulty in coordinating um, mass assaults against certain positions was almost impossible. Um, he said guys like Napoleon were lucky to actually have the core commanders that he did because his core commanders were actually very, very effective and very good at coordinating those attacks. And they all understood their role in accordance to what Napoleon expected of them. Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of other militaries, and it's not just in the American Civil War. I mean, you look at the Paraguayan War. You look mm -hmm. at um, any other war that really takes place in the 19th century, even in the Crimean War, um, even the Franco-Prussian War. Uh, coordination was not at its peak performance. Uh, but then again, 
that draws into other problems, right? With things like communication issues um, as well. And, and the fact that, you know, generals were still able to somewhat put together these assaults is actually pretty impressive. Um, um, also, you think Grant really sort of adopts, um, is it Grant or Sherman? One of them adopts uh, Napoleon's tactics. You know, when Napoleon invades, goes on his invasion and, you know, they adopt his his tactics as far as going off and living off the land, don't they? That they, they sort of use that. I mean, Grant uses that during the Vicksburg campaign, doesn't he? Where he just literally goes off the map for two weeks or three weeks and they don't know where he is, but he uses the land as he goes along for the army. You know, right. Napoleon actually invented that tactic, didn't he? Yeah, and he also invented canned food. Um, yeah. You know, so uh, the, ah, uh, yeah, hey. Hyder Pasta Cemetery. That's exactly right. Um, I was there. It's beautiful. Um, but the uh, tactics uh, that Grant, yeah, he works with, it, a lot of that also comes from Napoleon. Look, Napoleon's going to influence all 19th century warfare. I mean, everyone wants to be Napoleon. Mm -hmm. um, hence, everyone has their hand in their jacket. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so yeah. I, with that said, you know, Everyone wants to win that decisive battle. I mean, even Grant believes in the idea of a decisive battle. Even after the Battle of Shiloh, he believes that that is going to work. Um, he stops believing that pretty quickly, um, not long after. But Robert E. Lee is going to keep trying to look for that decisive victory really up until... I mean, 1865, I mean, from what I read, I mean, he really gives up on the war come November of 1864. Um, so, you know, I, I know that that's what he was always looking for. Generals always looked for that decisive victory um, because that's what the public looked for as well. So, uh, you know, but I think... And, and, you know, unfortunately, Napoleon, he gets to a point where, like, he he reaches his peak very early on in his career, and then he never really develops anything innovative or new after that, and then everyone just takes on takes after that, um, and they learn from it. Another so, great example of that is Winfield Scott. He does the same thing into Mexico, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. where he literally that's just exactly goes right. off on, on a... Like, and of course, that's where a lot of Civil War generals learn their trade from him. You know, he just goes, you know what, let's just go off the and we'll, we'll live off the land. And that's an excellent, excellent point that you bring up, because the Mexican-American War, I mean, we can talk about, you know, military theory, taxes, tactics, whatever. But you really don't learn anything until you're actually in the field. Um, and the Mexican-American War is going to influence guys like Grant and a ton of Confederate officers. Um, and you, you're actually going to read from Grant's memoirs that, yeah, he found Scott's invasion extremely impressive and he's going to remember that. Yeah. Um, so real quick, Noel, just, um, 15 minutes ago, I just realized that he, uh, had commented and he sent us a cool video, uh, picture here. The map of Rappahannock River below Fredericksburg showing Port Royal, Moss Neck and Corbin's Neck, etc. Noel, you are so wonderful. I can't help but just to admire your work. We're going to go ahead and download this picture and share it with our I folks here. Help, I can't help but just to admire your work. We're going to go ahead and download this picture and oh. share it with our folks here. <laughs> yeah. 
And right, let's see if I can get it. We're going to go ahead and download this picture. And oh. see if <laughs> Who's <laughs> echoing? That's my bad. Sorry. We're going to go ahead and download good. Bloody, bloody <laughs> pain in the backside. <laughs> it's okay. I can edit that out later. If I don't, it's raw and it's unfiltered like we're supposed uh, to. It's unfiltered. Sorry, yeah, everybody. Right. It happens. I was just making sure so much. I thought I was echoing. You know what? Like, what I really tabs extremely quickly. Having the opportunity just to sit here and geek out about what I love. About history. Yeah. That's what we do. I, I mean, just, it's, it's uh, the greatest part again. about this. Oh, go on. Sorry. Let's look at this map. There we go. Wow. Okay. Can can you remind me, I, even though I've heard, I, I heard of Second Fredericksburg, can you remind me? what that is when that's right important. okay so oh, oh so that's in may of 1863 yeah. right during go. chancellorsville hooker wants to split a, a an attack so his attacks happening at chancellorsville obviously we are all focused on what's going on east of fredericksburg or west of fredericksburg 13 right. miles west of fredericksburg but in fredericksburg there is an assault happening we have john reynolds first corps we have John Sedgwick also attacking. John Sedgwick is positioned and moving forward, and so is um, Reynolds. Well, what accumulates in all this is there's a Union push onto Marie's Heights where they actually see that the line is very spread thin on the sunken road. And the Union forces, after a ceasefire slash truce, actually, wait a minute, we can take that wall. And they do so. They actually storm up the walls, storm the heights of Marie's Heights, and they attack the very top where my great-great-grandfather is in Parker's Virginia Battery. A small um, portion of that battery is up there on the hill. It actually gets overrun by some Vermonters. Uh, but they keep pushing from Marie's Heights and heading west towards Chancellorsville to link up with the Union Army, almost like a pincer movement, if you will. And they get utterly repulsed to Salem Church and pushed across the Rappahannock River to be just quite frank with you um that that's a very important aspect of the chancellorsville campaign that just goes unnoticed since we're on the topic of forgotten battles like mine run you know 157 years ago to the day i believe it's 157 if i'm not mistaken yeah. it might be 158 um 63 be yeah yeah it would be 158 years ago actually do you, th do you think the pincer movement was a sound decision I, I personally think, yeah, and not only that, I think it was actually, yeah. Joe, uh, sorry, Joe Hooker didn't want Sedgwick or Reynolds anywhere near him because they had done a lot of backstabbing at, um, to, to Burnside at Fredericksburg, the first Fredericksburg. Well, Hooker so, did some bad backstabbing of, um, I mean, look at the letter, you have publicly yeah. Yeah, thwarted. You know what your, I'm trying yeah. to say? So from what I've read, that he, he wanted them down at Fredericksburg out the way so they weren't getting in his way why he was advancing on Lee at Chancellorsville, you know, further up. So that's I why he, the way I understood it is that he didn't want them, you know, around and he just wanted to get rid of them down there. You go down there and leave yeah. me alone sort of thing. But I mean, it's, it turns into a good move, really. I mean, they had a great opportunity there, didn't they, Tyler? Mm, they did. They had a, a tremendous opportunity to win the Battle of Chancellorsville. But like Hooker says himself, that Hooker lost faith in Joe Hooker. Okay. So with that being said, you know, we, we look at Hooker instrumenting or implementing, excuse me, a fantastic and sound plan, but with him losing faith in himself, he can't really execute that. You know what I mean? So there's not a chance for him to have the success that he thinks he's going to have or that he hopes he's going to have because of that failure on his own part. And I think that's what really ties yeah, I mean, they used the, the same crossing, don't they, that um, George Meade used. Is that right? Sedgwick's core. And then uh, mm -hmm. 
there's also um, a drunken. Uh, I brought it up last time. I think there's a drunken um, Benham, not Burnham. I got that wrong. It's Henry yeah. Benham. He falls off. He f- there's an account face. of him falling on his face and lacerating yeah. the shit out of his face, and he's like, <laughs> like just making all these like ungodly commands and just like saying these horrible things. But he's like belligerently drunk, dude. I mean, th- there was something in his canteen that was not water and beeswax. That's for sure. It was something else. And I mean, there, there's so many things that tie into Second Fredericksburg that just yeah. make it a very unique campaign. Um, but unfortunately, there's not much left of Second Fredericksburg. No. And I imagine that's that. because a lot's been built over it. A lot like Kansas City. Um, oh, look, you've still got those pictures of Second Fredericksburg. You know, the, the one with the tree and the, where the guys are sitting up against the tree. That was Show actually um, after Wilderness. The one I showed you, that really oh, yeah, eerie picture. Right, yeah. So no, you showed me something last week about Second Project, but I can't remember what it was. There was a few pictures you brought up last week. I can't remember. Because we were discussing it, weren't we? The one where you could still see the battle smoke. There there was a photo taken across the river oh, yeah. where you can actually see the battle. It's like one of the only pictures, I think, of the war that's taken in the midst of a battle where you can actually see the smoke in the town of Fredericksburg hovering over Maurice Heights, where there's a freaking paddle just like roaring while this uh, photographer is taking a picture of it. It's very cool too. Let me see if I can't pull that up. It's somewhere in my files here. I don't know exactly which it is because I have put up so many pictures since then. What is this one? No, that's that's the field day attack across in both yeah. 62 and 64, but that's not the one. I'll have to put that up next episode because I have no idea. Go ahead and download this picture. Oh, now I'm echoing, I think. Yeah. Oh, no, that's not me echoing. There's another echo somewhere. Was that you again, Nate? What? I heard echoing again. I was like, where is this coming from? Yeah, it's not, I don't that's, think it's me. No, that's, that's weird. That's that's okay. I don't care. I was. I just want to make sure I'm not going crazy. And no, I think it keeps um, pulling up because I'm trying to look at. Sorry, some of the comments that were coming in. Oh, you're good. I appreciate that. Someone's got to look at it. I can't because I when I did it, mine was echoing too. I had to shut that quickly. Well, and of course, like I put myself on mute and then I paused the video. But as soon as I switch back over, <laughs> it's, it's, like, rah, 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 rah. it's okay. It's no problem. Well, guys, um, we're nearing our mark here. Um, I plan to do an unfiltered conversations after work tomorrow. I'd have to check my schedule, make sure what time I'm off, but I'll get back with some of the unfiltered guys and see what time I'm off. If anyone wants to join just for another bullshit conversation like we did after the video tonight, I'm very much open for that. So you guys let me know what you're looking like tomorrow evening. Yeah, I look good. I'm not doing anything. I'm not either. So that's that. I've got a really, really exciting um, reenactment AGM tomorrow. That's going to be exciting. Where at? Um, Just up the road from me. Okay. So I'm on the committee, so I've got to be there. I am publicity officer for Southern Skirmish Association. Oh, and also, well, I've also joined the Sons of Union Veterans, by the way, and I'm the patriotic instructor oh, of the nice. Sons of Union Veterans. So my job is to find the um, patriotic stories from the Civil War and explain and a little I'm in depth about also why. on the committee of the Roundtable UK, which I got voted on two weekends ago. So, yeah, it's really well, cool. Congratulations. And again, that's why I'm plugging you for London, Nate. You're coming to London and you're going to be in the Roundtable. You're going to talk about Grant. 
That'd be cool. Do you ever need an Upton guy to come talk? I don't know. I can say much about Grant, but I can talk a hell of a lot about Upton. You're going to be doing Fredericksburg and all that stuff. Oh, that's cool too. I would love to take Fredericksburg's reins and go into that. And then again, do you have any last minute thoughts for us? Oliver Cromwell and Winston Churchill and Lincoln in Parliament Square. That part's cool too. Well, guys, again, if there's any last-minute thoughts, anything anyone wants to add, please, now is the time to do so because we're closing out here. I just want to thank everyone for joining in and watching and thank Chris and thank Nate and thank everyone. And, yeah, um, thanks for not mentioning the revolution. Oh, you did. Um, yeah. <laughs> One day, Darren. One day. <laughs> thanks, set me and off again. In a couple days, we have this going on, the Rappahannock Tea Party of 2021. Yeah. The, the Rappahannock tea bagging of 21. Tea bagging? No, I said tea party. There are two yeah, different no, things there, buddy. <laughs> Guys, again, I want to appreciate, or Wrong I do channel. appreciate every single one of y'all. Jay Bevan says, great talk once again. Thanks. I love your Red Dead character in the profile picture, by the way, man. That's pretty badass, actually. Yeah, that's a going to be. Cool um, you guys I, ever played that I, game? I love that oh, game. Oh, I play it all the time. But I just, as we were talking, actually deleted it out of my space as we were doing that yeah. talk because uh, Call of Duty Vanguard's had freaking 20 The thing is, I end up getting banned from all the towns because I go off on a tangent sometimes. You know, when you get bored and you just start, like, randomly start shooting, like, looting people and that, you know. <laughs> It doesn't surprise me that you go and do that. Do, like, not you know very, very oh, British of you. Say you really funny. I was, I was riding along one day on it, and I came across the KKK in the woods doing like yep. a ceremony. Yeah, that's in the game. No word of a lie, and so I shot them all. Good. If you wait and watch, <laughs> they all burn because they fall in the fire. Did I? So it's great. Yeah, they do. They um, the scene I came across, they all just started burning in the fire, and I was like, oh, this is pleasant. I pulled out. I had a um. What did the, the like the whatever their version of the Henry rifle was? I had that pulled and aimed at them the entire time, and I was just ready to start blasting heads. And then all of a sudden, they just fell into a fire, and I was like, okay. <laughs> did it for me. Yeah. It works. Yeah, Red Dead's a very fun game, but hopefully, Call of Duty Vanguard is going to be cool too. I know there's no historical accuracy to that crap whatsoever. It's a Call of Duty game, so yeah. it's wait. You mean nothing you mean historically? Not historical. No, dude, it's not actually. It's just they say our our historical. Anyway, I think at some point we definitely need to have a grant chat. Very cool. And you're you're the expert. I I make sure to bring him up. We definitely need a grant chat. (laughs) Mm. Actual fact, right? Um, I do a really boring, mundane job sometimes, where I stand there for two hours doing the same thing, and I put. I'm not going to say what I do, but it's really boring and it gives me a lot of time to think. And this week I've thought up so many ideas, unreal. I've got ideas going round in my head. You know, we've well, got I'm loads excited of honesty, to hear man. We've got some stuff coming up. So keep watching, guys. Yeah, guys. And again, y'all are awesome for joining tonight. Thank you. Huge thank you to Chris Mikowski for joining us tonight. And his insight on the Mind Run campaign was incredible. Um, Darren, you asked some great questions. Hey, and uh, Jay Bevan just linked himself there. If anybody ever wants to play Red Dead with Jay Bevan, it's Hardy1863. But with that being said, guys, y'all have a wonderful Saturday night. Have some beer for me, please, because I know I'm about to have a few more. Y'all in um, the, the stream, stick around for a minute as we close so I can finish closing out with you guys, too, um, after we end our live video. 
and we will see y'all tomorrow night.